The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk with Gary Young about Josephine Baker, the American-born black singer, dancer, and French resistance fighter, is being interred at the Pantheon in Paris, where France honors its most distinguished citizens. She's the first black woman to be interred there. Gary Young is a writer and broadcaster, professor of sociology at the University of Manchester, a former Guardian columnist, and a member of the Nation editorial board. His books include The Speech, the story behind Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, and Another Day in the Death of America. We reached him today at home in London. Hi, Gary. Hi there. Well, Josephine Baker was the granddaughter of enslaved people. Born in 1906 in St. Louis, she became a dancer on Broadway. And then in 1925, she moved to France to escape American racism. She renounced her American citizenship in 1937 to become a citizen of France. When World War II came, she joined the French Resistance, using her status and femininity to travel and gather information. She's held up as evidence that France has been more welcoming to black people than the United States has been. And indeed... Throughout the 20th century, France has welcomed many African-American artists, writers, musicians, famously Richard Wright, James Baldwin, Chester Himes, musicians including Sidney Bechet, Bud Powell, Nina Simone. Richard Wright wrote in 1951, quote, there is more freedom in one square block of Paris than there is in the entire United States of America. I know you lived in Paris as a student in 1990. Was that your experience there? No, no, it wasn't. And actually coming across those writings at the time, when I didn't know that much about America, I was kind of shocked. Paris to me, I was a student. I studied French and Russian. So I spent six months uh, at the Sorbonne, and it was the most intensely racist experience I've ever had in my life. Wow. Three or four days a week, I would be stopped and asked for my papers. I had to carry around my passport everywhere. There were color bars in restaurants and nightclubs. When you were looking for flats, people would say, Vous êtes de quelle origine, monsieur? Meaning, <laughs> what, what are your origins, sir? And if, you, if I said I'm British, then I would turn up and then I, I would have wasted half a day because I'd turn up and I'd see that I was black and so on. If I said I was black, well, then it would go on anyway. And, and I lived actually just around the corner from the Pantheon on uh, Rue des Fortes Saint-Jacques. It was awful. And then I, I would come across these claims, <laughs> and I would think, is it just me? And the other thing that people would say was, you know what? It would be even worse if you were Arab, which 
was of little consolation, frankly, but <laughs> was kind of worth bearing in mind. And it should be said, this is not this before, not that that would justify, but before there's any issue of terrorism or uh, or anything like that in its modern incarnation. And uh, I was kind of I was baffled and. Not disappointed because you know who am I to be disappointed in Richard Wright? <laughs> I was just like, what the what the hell is that? And as time's gone on, and I had wanted to be the Moscow correspondent for the Guardian, and then ended up falling in love with American and going in a different direction, and learn a bit more about what was going on in Black America, and you kind of and you you, you get to understand. Okay, yes, this is first of all, it's a statement about America primarily. Uh, and what was going on there in the same way that Obama can say of his dad, as he did in the 2004 speech at Democratic Party convention, my father came to America, a magical place. Hmm. Well, African-Americans couldn't vote. But, I mean, if you came from Kenya and you arrived in Hawaii and you were going to study, then, yeah, I can see it's magical. You've got to look at where... It's not just where people arrive, it's where they come from. And that given the experiences of Jim Crow, given the experiences of intellectuals in general in America, as opposed to France, where they are lauded and praised, I can see how they would experience France very differently. And then, of course, for for the French, there was this real desire to... It's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend... So France has long had a kind of uh, chippy relationship with the U.S., particularly after the war. You know, they called um, the Marshall Plan uh, Coca-Colonization. The Communist Party was the biggest party in the country. There was a resentment. They didn't join NATO. It was a resentment of American hegemony. And so to have these dissidents from America come to France, well then, yes, France um, uh, embraced them. So there were a few things going on. The experience of America, the warm embrace of France, and, and I just touched on this, but it's worth emphasizing, the degree to which France does lord embrace its intellectuals. That At a certain point, James Baldwin wrote about being arrested and showing the man that he was an author uh, the policeman and the policeman kind of going, oh, well, you know, you should have said so. You know, author Trump's, author Trump's black vagrant. And this takes us to Josephine Baker today. Being interred at the Pantheon is a very big deal in France. That's where Voltaire is buried, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Victor Hugo, Emile Zola. Why do you think President Emmanuel Macron approved Josephine Baker's interment there? I mean, Josephine Baker is is a big thing there. She um, she was awarded the Croix de Guerre and the um, Légion d'Honneur, which are France's higher high order of merit, both military and civil. So it's not crazy that she might end up there. By the way, I learned, even having done four years of French, a new verb during this research, this article, which is pantheonisé which is to pantheonize, <laughs> that people can be pantheonized. <laughs> um, but, but these are political decisions. 
there's a range of people who might be. It doesn't cost you anything. It's quite kind of garish, really. They dig somebody's bones up and then put them back in the pantheon. But nonetheless, it's a kind of... Um, it's ceremonial and it's symbolic. And so you have to look to what it symbolizes. And I think that France has has had some challenges with race and racism over the years. It's got one of the biggest fascist parties in Europe or extreme right parties in Europe in what was the Front National, which is now being eclipsed by another party. And it's an article of faith in the Republican notion of itself, the French French Republican, not the GOP. The, the the notion of la République is indivisible. And so race is not a category that is recognized even. And yet racism exists. <laughs> and few people would really doubt that. Then comes along the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And there has been this very, very severe pushback in France against uh, what they call la politique identitaire, um, identitarian politics. And just to give one example, which is the Paris Opera did what most artistic bodies have done since the Black Lives Matter protests uh, broke out, which is they, they took a look at their inventory and said, you know, what can we do? They had a review. What can we not do? What can we do better? And they decided quite uncontroversially, you would think, to drop a few of the pieces that they'd been doing for a while and to no longer do blackface or yellowface. Well, I mean, you'd think that they had banned a cartoon or something, the way that they went on. The editor of the liberal Le Monde, Michel Guerin, called it self-censorship and said that the uh, head of the Paris Opera had been wallowing in American culture for 10 years because... He had been the head of the Toronto Opera before, so North American culture. There's a movement uh, within the academy to kind of stop identity politics and this push against things like critical race theory, which in America comes from the right. In France, it's coming from the liberal left. And so you take someone like Josephine Baker, who is American, and you elevate her to this highest degree in her death. And what you say is, you see someone like this can thrive here and they can't thrive there. That we're doing something right and they have done something wrong. That their racism is worse than ours. So let's talk about what we know about race and racism in France today. What do the data on race, ethnicity and religion in France today tell us? Well, there is barely any data because it's illegal to collect data on grounds of race. So we don't know for sure the level of black unemployment or uh, Maghreb or Arab unemployment in France. We don't know for sure the rates of stop and frisk, the disproportionality. Uh, We know it's bad because we see it. And my experience, albeit 30 years ago, is evidence of it. There have been some efforts at some kind of polling. So there was a poll in an area called Saint-Saint-Denis where a lot of black and Arab people live. And there, 80% of people thought that race and ethnicity was the basis for discrimination in dealing with the police or employment. Uh, The Migration Policy Institute found that a third of children of immigrants believe they're not considered French by other people. 
a third of French people acknowledged being racist. Uh, one in four French people believed that their empire was something to be proud of. Just one in seven thought it was something to be ashamed of. So what we do know isn't particularly impressive. And one of the things that's very important to kind of bear in mind is the persistent bitterness, even 60 years later, around the um, Algerian war, uh, which the French lost and were, were kicked out. That that was a scar, a deep scar, on um, the French psyche. And if you talk to most non-white French people, as I did for the column, what they what they'll say is, look, a year earlier, Gisèle Halimi, a Tunisian French lawyer, feminist, essayist, campaigned on abortion, wealth redistribution, human rights. She died. And there was a push to put her in the pantheon. But the uh, Elysee, the, um, like the White House, the French presidential team decided that because she had represented the Algerian independence movement in the past, that her appointment would be too divisive. Wow. And so African-Americans then, or Josephine Baker then, is not just a way of elevating a black woman who has every right to be elevated and who has done the things that need to be done to get into the Pantheon. And by putting her in the Pantheon and not putting Giselle Alimi in the Pantheon, there is a way of kind of almost negating the colonial experience and saying, actually, you know what? We prefer these black people. Yes. Yes. Uh, th those people of color we find like deeply problematic. And so the celebration of African-Americans is partly a way to oppose American society, but it's also about not addressing colonial history. So when I think of Richard Wright's, you know, there's more freedom in one block of Paris. I, I, I always think now, yeah, but what happens when you step outside that block? So today, the United States has had a black president. It has a black vice president, has a sizable black middle class, France, you write in The Nation, has a, quote, a toxic blend of far-right extremists, secular fundamentalism, and racial denial, close quote. So should we conclude here by celebrating America? Uh, no, no. I don't think anybody should be celebrating America's kind of uh, <laughs> racial makeup right now. No, my point there is to say that there was a moment, particularly in the post-war period through to the 60s, where African-Americans needed France and France needed African-Americans. Now, African-Americans don't really need France. It's not that they're having such a great time in America necessarily, but the notion that they would, you know, then escape to France, well, I mean, first of all, they're not doing it, but secondly, the kind of jig is up in terms of kind of French fascism, French racism, and so on. But France still very much needs African Americans as a foil and as a as a notion of its non-racial potential. And the fact that they're burying, reburying Josephine Baker should kind of tell you something about where that notion stands, which is kind of six feet under. 
Josephine Baker, I could emphasize this enough, is more than qualified to get into the Pantheon. But getting into the Pantheon isn't really about qualifications. It's about symbols and the politics of the moment. And the politics of this moment in France is a desperate need to profess that in some way they are advanced in the matter of race. And for this, they've had to reach back to the death of an Af- uh, of well, we call her African-American. She was French. She renounced her American citizenship, but American-born uh, woman and, and say, hey, look what we did 60 years ago. Gary Young, his essay about Josephine Baker and racism in France today appears in the new issue of The Nation magazine. It's called The Dancer Was a Spy. Gary, this is great. Thanks for talking with us today. Thanks, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.